Father God, I pray for a, a new boldness to come upon every person by virtue of what they hear today. Lord God, I also ask for grace upon myself to preach your word, your way. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So great to have you. We are in our What on Earth Am I Here For? preaching series, and you will have been doing this in your small groups and having a great time just breaking over the concept of what is my purpose? What on earth am I here for? What has God called me to do? Who am I? And I hope you've made some progress. Last week, we spoke about the, the joy of serving and how we get to put our gifts on the table and we become more of who we are as we participate in the great work that God is doing on the earth today. If you didn't get to sign up for that, please head over to the Get Connected table. And if you want to uh, volunteer for any part of this church, you're very welcome to. Those of you who did sign up last week, thank you. You did, we got so many sign-ups, it was absolutely amazing, and so we're so thrilled by you saying, yes, I want to be a part of what's happening here, so thank you so much. Can you give yourselves a hand? I think, I think you deserve it. What on earth am I here for? We're going to be talking about today, you were made for a mission. You matter to God, you were made with a purpose, you were made with a you were shaped to serve, but you were also made for a mission. I feel like everyone wants a mission in life. You know, there's something that gets you out of bed in the morning, a reason to like move on, a reason to better yourself, a reason to make a difference in the world. Everyone needs a mission. Unlike Mission Impossible, this is Mission Possible that we are on, and it's going to be something that, that just, because God is so good, when he gives you a mission, it's like, Doing it just makes you the happiest you could ever be. Yeah. It's like not only, uh, when you get about God's mission, his mission becomes m to fulfill you in that mission. And you find yourself becoming more completely yourself in that process and having a great time and an adventure on the way also. So how many of you, when you hear, hear the E word, it fills you with trembling? I'm even a bit nervous to say the E word, evangelism. Oh my, does it, when you hear the word evangelism, do you just like tremble at your boots? I remember being invited in the early years to come to evangelism training. You know what I did? I opened up my diary and I filled it with everything I could so that I could legitimately say, so sorry, I'm too busy. You know, it was just like the thought of doing evangelism just filled me with dread. It's like, what are you going to make me do? What are you going to make me say? Are you going to make me face people that I don't know? And it just was, just was a very scary thing. But at the same time, at the same time, inside my heart beat this thing. So if I imagine if I could just be used by God to reach out to someone such that I saw come alive in their eyes the light of the gospel, the light of the revelation of God's love for them. What if, what if I could walk with someone out of their brokenness into wholeness? What if I could be a part of a rescue mission to reach someone who was desperate, alone, searching, and I could reach into that, and I could be the one that God used to bring restoration to them. So there was something in my heart just, I want that. I want that. So I, I, did, I did try it a little bit on my own before I kind of learned a bit more, and I'm so pleased that I learned a bit more. But <clears throat> the first time that I 
tried evangelism. It went like this. We were on a school camp, and one of the girls kind of expressed some, some questions to me. And so I got her into my dorm room, closed the door, stood in front of the door, and for two hours I told her about Jesus. You know, I told her this way, I told her that way, I told her upside down, inside out, and finally at the end of two hours she just said, whatever, Carol, I, I, will, I will agree to whatever you say. I will give my life to Jesus, I will give my life to whoever you say, just let me out of this room. Just let me out of this room. So it was successful in a way. Believe it or not, believe it or not, this woman is still serving the Lord, so something happened. Even, even my worst efforts... Even my worst efforts were successful. That's how good God is. Your worst efforts he will use. Another time I shared the gospel. You know you get these men on bicycles with that ice cream cart on the side. And they usually have an umbrella to keep them shaded. And they arrive around the streets with a little street, so with a little bell. And then... You go out and buy ice creams from them. So I, I went out to buy. He was driving past our house. I went out to buy some ice creams for the children. And I thought, as I got there, I thought, gosh, I could share the gospel with this man. Until I give him my money. You know, he's a captive audience. He's going to wait. <clears throat> so I start sharing the gospel with him. And after a short time, I realized he doesn't understand English. And he only understands Afrikaans. So I resorted to my best Afrikaans. Which, to be honest, is not very good. And I... <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> with great gusto, shared the gospel in Afrikaans to this man. The more I shared, the more terror I saw dawning on his face. And, you know, he just, confusion was reigning. And after a little while, he got on his bicycle and he pedaled away from me as fast as he can, looking over his shoulder in great consternation. Get that crazy woman away from me. So I don't know what I shared with him, but clearly it wasn't the good news. You know what I'm saying? Clearly, clearly I used some Afrikaans words that meant something I didn't know. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I have no idea what happened to him. Thank you so much, Mike. <coughs> clearly... It meant something else to him, but I, <clears throat> I am convinced that God got hold of him. I feel like God might have come to him in the morning after that night, and he was having nightmares about this crazy white woman. <laughs> that, you know, God would have come to him and said, don't worry, I'll rescue you, even from her. Just give your life to Jesus. And so I, I, was, I was grateful to be of help to the Lord. But, you know, as I came along, I realized that I had two problems in in sharing the gospel and reaching out to people. The first was that I really didn't know how. And over the years, God has taught me how, and I find myself able to share the gospel much, much more appropriately. People actually don't scream and run in terror after I've done it. They usually are quite interested and want to hear more. So I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But the, the other thing is that I realized that I was often more concerned about people's opinions of me than I really was about their understanding of the gospel. And I, I feel like God had to come and do something in my heart where, where I came to understand 
or come to understand, should I say, the glorious reality of Christ in me, the glorious reality of how he had chosen me, about who I was in him, that no matter what the outcome of this interaction with this person, I stood as royalty in his presence, and that his majesty and his grace pursued me no matter what. And I felt as I came to understand that, my ability to share the gospel in ways that were people could receive increased. So this is the first scripture that I ever memorized way back when, just after I gave my life to the Lord. It's Romans 1.16, and it says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I can just pick, can you picture Paul? He wrote this. Paul standing, just like before crowds, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I mean, just that, those first four words, I am not ashamed. How many of us can say that? I am not ashamed. I mean, what a glorious declaration. I am not ashamed. What I carry is so worth me sharing. Because it carries a power with it. That when I share it, people are liberated, people are healed, people are delivered. I cannot hold back this thing that I'm carrying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The Passion Translation, which is another translation of the Bible, says it this way, and I love the words it uses. It says, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. I mean, unleashed in Iceland. I mean, I just, it's like a Superman moment, just tearing open that Clark Kent shirt, and there is super Christian unleashing the power of God. I mean, it's just so spectacular and dramatic. And you know, most of the interactions I have with people where I share the gospel superficially don't look very dramatic. They just look like very normal conversations. But in my heart, I'm unleashing the power of God's word. You know, in my heart, I'm just like having a super Christian moment. And I feel there's something that is happening spiritually that is like that. Just your normal everyday conversations. When you share Jesus, when you share who he is, where you uh, share the testimony of what he's done in your life, it's like there's unleashing of power. There's a setting free of something that is happening that, that you cannot even comprehend the enormity of it. There's another passage of scripture that I always refer to when I'm thinking about evangelism. Acts 4 tells the story of Peter and John who healed this lame man outside the temple. And of course, people are fascinated and they draw around them and they, they share the truths of Jesus in those scenarios. And then the, the ruling authorities of that area, they get a bit mad about that because, you know, they see Peter and John kind of getting more enthusiastic following than they have. So they call Peter and John in and they kind of, have this trial, this, this mini trial, and they, they basically end up not throwing in them, them in jail, but saying to them, listen, we'll let you go on one condition, that you don't share the gospel. You don't talk about Jesus anymore. So what do you think Peter and John did? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, you're so right. We're so sorry we, that we did something so silly as to talk about Jesus. No, no. We read in Acts 4 that they went back to their Christian brothers and sisters and they prayed. And this is what they said. Now, Lord, 
consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, they told us not to say it. We're going to say it more. <laughs> Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know, when I first read that, I was just thrilled. I was thrilled because, you know, that's what I want. I want, I want the kind of faith that means that I can speak the word of God boldly. I don't know how you feel, but I'm, I'm tired of being a slave to people's opinions. I'm tired of being a slave to the fears that plague my heart. I'm tired of being directed by this feeling of timidity in me. I just, I want to be who I am. I want to I be, be bold and um, courageous. I want to reveal what the glorious things that God has done in me. I want to be that kind of person. And so when I read this, I said, you know what? Even they were feeling not bold. I mean, the only reason you pray for boldness and courage is if you're not feeling courageous. I mean, they, they've just been hauled before the very people who crucified Jesus. And the possibility is huge that they could get the same. And at that same time, they are just, no, we are we are going to do this. And they pray for this boldness and it comes out in a way, not just that they become bold, but it's almost like God comes behind them. And as they speak, he just touches the situation and miracles happen. I mean, how much more confirmation do you need that God is with you when your house shakes? But now, I don't know how you feel, but I imagine you're in church because you believe in God. I'd imagine that's why you're here. Or you seeking God. That could be another reason. But I would imagine every single one of you would love to see miracles. Is there anyone here who wouldn't like to see a miracle? Great. No hands raised. Good stuff. I want to let you know that the Bible seems to indicate time and time again that miracles follow the preaching of the gospel. That this power of the Holy Spirit is in us, through us, on us, to confirm the message of Jesus Christ. I've seen more healings, more deliverances, when I've interfaced with people outside the church than I've ever seen when I interface with people inside the church. Here's a good one. So I'm walking through pick and pay a little while back. And I'm walking down this aisle, and I see in front of me a, a woman. She's quite a large woman, and she is limping on her one hip. She kind of like, every time she takes a step, she kind of like holds that hip. Clearly, it's in pain. And I notice that in the aisle, there are no other people. That was God's mercy to me, because that helped me be bold. So I walk up to her, and I ask her, ma'am, I see that you're limping. Is your, are you in pain? Is your hip sore? She confirms that. I say, would you mind if I pray for you? She says, yes. I think she also looked either side to see who else was in the aisle. Yes, you may pray for me. So I asked if she wouldn't mind if I put my hand on her hip. I did put my hand on her hip and I began to pray. And she goes, after I've prayed a few minutes, she goes, what's that? Whoa, what's that? And so I go, I don't know. She goes, oh, there's heat, there's heat, there's heat. In, uh, what is that? What is that? So I realized this is God doing something. So now I'm really playing bold. You know, before I was just a little bit bold. Now I'm really bold. And then after I prayed a little while, I say to her, well, 
ma'am, how's that feeling? She says, good. I said, can you just do something that hurt before and, and see what God's done? Now, like I said, she was a large lady. She put her bag off her shoulder, and she just begins doing squats <laughs> right there <laughs> in, the, in the aisle. And, you know, every time, you know, you know, squats. I mean, these, these were like tough things. And every time she goes, she's a large lady, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if she wasn't injured before, my word, what is this going to do for her? So every time she's going down, I'm going, <gasps> <gasps> but anyway, she does them all, and she says, no pain. It's amazing. No pain, no pain. I mean, I thought whether she had pain before just to do squats like that without pain was a miracle, you know. But anyway, so I, I'm saying, oh, that's amazing. And then, then I tell her, you know, the, the person who just healed you is Jesus. And he, he wants to reach into your world, and he wants to make a difference in more than just your body. He wants, he wants to revolution your, revolutionize your whole life. He, in fact, he wants to come in and take over and, and be Lord of it. And he wants, he wants your heart in the best possible way it can be in the safety of his presence. Oh, I didn't say that exactly. It was something like that. And then I asked her whether she would like to give her heart to the Lord, again, we both checked the aisle, no one, so we prayed. Even if there'd been someone, we would have prayed, but we would have, I don't know. We would have, we would have prayed. We would have prayed. And then, um, because in this church, we don't believe in people coming to the Lord and just leaving them there, figure it out yourself. I reached into my bag, and I happened to have the precursor of the one-to-one -one with us with me, and I, I gave it to her, put my number in there so we could be in contact afterwards, and she, she walked away from me down the aisle in pick and pay with the book in front of her going, mwah, 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 mwah. <laughs> How many of you want adventures like that? How many of you want adventures like that? What if God could use you like that and more? I mean, I, there are countless ways that God could have you interface with someone in a way that they experienced the love and the grace of God. You know, there's a wild thing. So many Christians have this impression of a hostile world out there that is just wanting to eat Christians for breakfast. Just share the gospel with you, with me, and I will, I will mince you into a thousand pieces in an instant. How many of you have had that impression of that hostile world out there? Did you know that they did a survey in the U.S. with 2,000 unchurched people? And they were very strict about it, this. If, you, if they got hold of you and said, have you been to church recently? And if the person said yes, you were out the survey. That, there had to be people who, who weren't churchgoers at all. And they, they asked them certain questions, and they discovered some interesting statistics. This was done by a reputable university in the U.S., and they found this out. You know that 50% of those people outside of the church said they would go to church if someone that they were friendly with invited them. My next question was, where are their friends? Why aren't they inviting them? But I, I kept my mouth closed when I heard this. Another thing is 53% of them said they would go to church if a family member invited them. 76% of them, that's a huge number, 76% of them said this, if I had a friend for whom faith was important, I would expect them to have conversations with me about it. I want to tell you that it's a myth that there's a hostile world out there. There is not a hostile world out there. There is a hostile devil, but we know how to deal with him. But that hostile world doesn't exist. There is a world out there with problems, with issues, with questions. 
on journeys, trying to figure this life out, trying to work out what's up and what's down. And they are waiting for people to tell them the truth. They are waiting for people to share what's, what they have learned with them. They are waiting for people to walk on the journey with them to the discovery of truth. Who better to do that than the church of the living God? They prayed and they, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I, I want to say one of the surefire prayers that God will answer for you is a prayer for boldness. You ask that and I guarantee you, you will get it. This is a question that God has asked me periodically in my life. And it's been so helpful for me to navigate what I will do, what I won't do, what I will give my time to, what battles I will fight and what battles I won't fight. And this is the question. What do you want your life to be known for? What do you want your life to be known for? And, you know, I, I have this picture of, of many different things I could do, you know. Well, I, I, I picture I could do them. Whether I could actually do them or not is another question. But, you know, I could be rich. I could, I could, be, I could be famous. I could be, you know, great in some area. But when I stood before God at the end of time, would that matter? But I can stand before him and I can say, I spoke your word with boldness. I carried the good news of what you had done. I shared in your rescue operation of this creation. I reached out to those who didn't know you. I, I took time to sit with the broken and the downcast. And I, I took time to walk with those who had questions and who were troubled. What do you want your life to be known for? I've made that decision. I want my life to be known as one who carries the gospel. I want to be, I want to be one that sits in boardrooms, in meetings, in schoolrooms, in family occasions, and I carry the message of a good God. I carry the message of a God for whom nothing is impossible. I carry the message that, that God sees you and is unwilling to leave you where you are. That I, I carry the message of a God who reached down from heaven to find you. Because he was unwilling to live without you. What do you want your life to be known for? You know, when I, I want my life to be known for the gospel, I had to ask myself the question, so what is the gospel? I mean, what do you actually say to people when, when you, you've started a conversation with them, you've asked them questions, you've listened to them, you've, you've told your story? What, what do you say to them? I mean, what actually is the good news? Because the gospel, the, the word gospel means good news. What is the good news to people around us? So one of the founders of our organization by the name of Rice Brooks, he shares this definition of the gospel, and I find it very profound and very succinct and helpful. 
He says this, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Christ Jesus, lived the life I should have lived, and died the death I should have died in my place. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, proving he is the son of God and offering salvation and forgiveness of sin to all who repent and believe in him. A really great summary of the gospel, but not something I remember and I use in conversation all that often. It's good for me to understand, to know it, but, but I found when I'm in conversation with people, conversations don't always go that way. They don't always open up this opportunity for me to say all that. And usually they interrupt me after the first sentence anyway, so I never get the full run at it. Because conversations don't go that way, where you get to talk all the time. There's kind of a two-way thing. So, th so there's another way I've come to kind of adapt that and I've, I've learned from other people of the way that I actually interface and share the gospel with people. And it goes like this. The first time I did it, I actually was in Mug and Bean and I had a serviette there and a pen and I said to the waitress, I said to her, you know, my church is experimenting with certain ways of doing things and they asked me to practice this with someone. Would you mind if I practice this with you? She said, yes, certainly. And so I practiced it with her. And at the end, she said, I don't know if that was a practice run or a real run, but I want that. And so I ended up leading her to the Lord then. So that was so great. But it goes like this. So Mary, John, Paul, Sipe, how are you doing? Yeah, I agree with you. This world that we live in, all around us, you know, stuff's wrong. Look at, look at ESCOM going on, you know, the corruption on our government. Oh, my word, have you heard the news reports about uh, stuff going on in families? You know, when I look at this world, I agree with you. There's, there's a certain amount of brokenness around us. And, you know, when, when I look at, look at this world, I, I kind of feel like this this is not the way it was meant to be. Some, something in my heart tells me there's got to be a better way than this. There's got to be a, a better way for this world to run than what I see happening around us. And you know what? I feel, like, I feel like God, when he created this world, he didn't create it with this brokenness. He created it with a perfect design. And, you know, when he had this perfect design where everything worked, where there was a place where love reigned supreme, where families were whole, where children grew up in a way where they were free and loved and protected and governments worked and countries ran well. When he created this perfect design, unfortunately, mankind said, I don't necessarily know that I want to live in that design. I want to make my own design. I want to do it my way. I, wa I want to have a man-centered design, not a God-centered design. And so man decided that he was going to live out his life his own way, and that resulted in the brokenness that we see around us. Man refusing to live in the per perfect design of God is what the Bible calls sin. It's not a list of things you can't do. It's stepping out of God's perfect design for you. And as a result, the world is broken. But you know, if you're honest about it, it's not just the world that is broken. It's like when you look at people's hearts, they're broken. You know, people who should be loving and kind or mean and harsh and, and things are broken. And you know, it's almost like these broken people are exporting their brokenness 
into the lives of others. It's almost like we are part of the problem. But God was unwilling to leave man in that state. He was unwilling to leave his world in that state. And so Jesus Christ stepped down into our world. God himself came into our world on the greatest and most dramatic rescue operation of all time. Jesus stepped into your world. He stepped into our world. He took on the brokenness of mankind. He, he was willing to say to mankind, how about you give me your brokenness and I will give you my wholeness. This divine exchange, this, where Jesus kind of like went into the slave market of our brokenness and said to our slave markers, slave masters, no, you take me instead. He, sent, he, he spoke to crime and disease and dissension and hatred. He said, take me instead. Let them go. He sold himself on our behalf. And the Bible calls this redemption. Jesus came to redeem us. And the Bible talks about the fact that we can move from this brokenness to accept what Jesus did by turning away from brokenness. We can say, no, I reject that way. I reject that way. I turn away from it. And I, I turn to Jesus and I accept the work that he did on the cross. The Bible calls this repentance. As Jesus has redeemed us he does a remarkable thing he doesn't just leave us there but he returns us to the perfect design the way we were meant to be who we were meant to be how the world was meant to be and you you know that that things are in process but the place that you will find the closest to God's original design is when you're amongst people are moving towards that original design as Jesus is leading them there and this process of of coming back to our perfect design means that we are we are recreated, that the whole world is under the process of becoming a new creation. And the Bible calls this a big word, justification. And as we move into God's perfect design once more, God doesn't just leave us there either. He actually sends us back into this broken world so that if we can reach others with the good news of what Jesus has done, bring them to Jesus so that they can also be restored to the perfect design that they were meant to be. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by the grace that comes by the redemption by Christ Jesus. Romans 3.23 This is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A God stepped into your broken world and he found you and he is sending you into the broken world of the people around you to bring them back to him. Amen. We can give the Lord a hand because I think his, his message was good. So when I'm walking on this 
this journey of making sure that my life is known for the right things. The three things I like to resist are people's opinions on me. Of course, I care what you think about me, but I don't want to be governed by those. So I don't want to be led by them. The other thing I'm resisting is fear. I don't, I don't want my life to be led by what I can't do, what could possibly happen, the bad that could be out there. I want my life to be led by the wisdom of God. I don't want my life to be governed by circumstances of like how much money do I have or, or wh where I was born or whatever. I want my life to be governed by God's word. I will do what he says I should do despite my circumstances. And when I live like that, I find myself being known for the right things. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 verse 25, it says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. And this helps me to be bold, to stand up for what I really know. I want to conclude with this. How about taking a risk? How about taking a risk? You know, there's a famous preacher who put it this way. He said, ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. You know, you can stay in the place of comfort and security and safety, but that's not what you were made for. You were made for the high seas of God's adventure. You were made for the high seas of discovering the beauty and the majesty of God. You were made for the high seas of reaching out to your neighbor, to those people around you. You're important. You matter. Your, your voice makes a difference in this world. Your voice makes a difference in this world. Take the hand of Jesus Christ and walk into the glorious adventure, the glorious experience of loving people with his love, of reaching the lost. Take the risk. Powerful scripture, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My apologies, and Samaria was left out of that scripture, but I remembered it. God is asking you to reach out, by the, not just on your own, with the power of his presence. This is the glorious thing. He never asks you to do anything you have to do on your own. And here it is. He's asking you to reach out to your Jerusalem, which is your, the people around you, your cousin, your aunt, your sister, your brother, your friend in class, your, the person around you that you're familiar with, your brother who's just graduated, you know, your, your friend. He's asking you to reach out to those people by the power of his presence leading you. He's asking you to reach out to your Judea, which is a bit of a broader circle that you don't know. So, so to, in order to reach your Judea, you're going to have to join a cycling club. If you hate that, join a book club. Go, go where the unbelievers are. Go where the unchurched are. Join something. Make new friends outside of your comfort circle. Meet your neighbor. Step out into your Judea. Samaria, the Samaritans were people of a completely different culture. You're going to have to step out of your cultural comfort zone. Oh, my word. 
One of the most fun things I have done in my life has been to reach out to people who have a different culture to me. I have learned stuff that you won't believe. I have never got to the place where I could eat chicken feet. I just haven't gotten there. But I've learned a lot of really great things. <laughs> Step beyond your comfort zone. Meet and understand and love new people. And last of all, to the ends of the earth. Who knows where God will take you in this Take the risk. Start a relationship. Invite them into your world, into your church, to your small group. Share your story and share God's story. And then keep walking with them. Keep walking with them through the one-to-one -one book so they get the foundations. Take them to Victory Training 1, Victory Training 2. Get them into your connect group. Get them running their own connect group. And then you say to them, hey, what I did with you, let's both go and do it with one more person. Let's just keep walking and keep doing this glorious thing. God didn't put us on this earth to be comfortable. He put us here to learn to love, to learn to love. And in conclusion, your story is part of his great story. Tell someone and the power of God will follow. Amen.